I'm Sherry Dunleavy, your inspirationista, host, and a grieving mom. Welcome to the Grief Anonymous podcast. Grief is a journey, and I'm 20 years into mine. No matter where you are in yours, I hope you'll join me as I provide you with information, tools, and experts to help guide you through the darkness of death into the light of living. Help is on the way. Steve Sewell is my guest today. He's an author and a pastor and a speaker and an educator, a grief educator. And I wanted to talk to him today because he helps so many people. He has a passion for helping people through their pain. And when it comes to helping children, he's especially fond of helping people become helpers of helping children through their grief and pain. So I wanted to welcome him today. Thank you so much for joining us, Steve. Absolutely, it's great to be here with you. So where does this passion come from? You know, I think early back in the days of high school, I always wanted to help out people. I was always instrumental in making the disenfranchised uh, feel uh, more connected it seemed like when I was a freshman, I was helping the younger freshmen or the, the ones that weren't as maybe as cool as they wanted to be or whatever. Not that I was the king of cool, but mm-hmm. definitely had, a, had an enjoyment of watching out for that. And by the time my senior year came around, we uh, started a peer leadership uh, uh, program. And that really kicked off really what I felt like was the beginning of my own identity, my own identity with helping people. Uh, It connected in with my faith, it connected in with my schooling, obviously calling. um, And I've always just been on the lookout. So how did you come into the arena of grief? Because many of the people that I talk to don't choose this, it chooses them. Was this a similar story for you? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I think everybody has a pathway into this. Obviously, there's some sort of a painful experience or a traumatic uh, episode that might happen in your life that either wasn't handled well and you want to do it better, you want to help other people better, or uh, you went through it so well in your mind or in your idea you had some things that you'd like to you know, contribute to others. So I think it was kind of a combination when we were pastoring, uh, we, we were looking out for people who were in painful situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, the churches that we were, that we were pastoring usually were on, uh, on their last legs. So there, there had to be a turnaround somewhere. And so that was something that we became good at was, uh, turning the church around, making it healthier. And it's not necessarily, you know, a program or a building so much, but we know that the church is a people. So we helped turn, turn, turn uh, those kind of uh, hurtful times into hopeful times. Uh, and then that went into more of a chaplain type work as a hospital and hospice chaplain, which I did for about nine years. So it, it just turned, it, everything just seemed to be in line with, mm-hmm. with helping others and making sure people help, had hope rather than hurt. Or 
when they felt like they were at the dead end or at the end of their road, then we could help them see that there was new roads ahead. Not everyone goes to church, you know, and so there are so many other people that are grieving that don't have that pastoral care. So I love that you take your message into businesses, into schools, into uh, the marketplace to help those who, who don't have that connection. So why is it so important for you to go into schools and educate the educators? Well, I think a lot of times educators hit the nerve of their passion. Um, they love not just math or reading or history uh, or even the foreign language or uh, technology, but they also want to make a difference. But oftentimes grief and loss are not taught in how to be a teacher. A lot of, it's, a lot of it is caught, you know, the difference between learning um, and it being caught. Uh, we can teach math, science, uh, reading, but when we go through a loss, it, we have to catch things. We have to, we have to uh, absorb some things in order to, uh, to make a difference. And I feel like most of the times our teachers are so busy teaching, they're missing what could be caught or they're so, they're so um, uh, focused on the bulk of the students that this one over here uh, gets sidelined because of what's happening at home or because of what's happening on the field or at the, at the court side and the teachers are not able to maneuver or maybe even pivot. So I'm helping them uh, learn to see the signs and uh, watch for ways that um, teachers and educators, counselors, uh, even uh, lunchroom uh, folks and janitors and bus drivers, yeah, bus drivers too, right? So it's interesting because I, I do similar things in in the area where where I work, and I I go into um, schools as well, and it's surprising to me to know how many teachers just kind of gloss over it because they don't know what to say and they're so afraid they're going to make it worse. So they just don't address it. You know, and I think probably a lot of the reason is, is, is because that they're young. Um, they're, they, they have to be so focused because they're, they're goal oriented. Uh, they have to stay on task. Um, but I have found that the more we open our minds, like you have seen, the more we open our minds and open, we open our hearts to people, we realize that there's so much hurt and there's so much pain where we're not trying to fix them, but we're just trying to listen and gain perspective uh, in their own lives uh, so that we might be able to offer hope or we might be able to offer some sort of resource of encouragement. I was just talking with a lady a couple of weeks ago and um, she used to live in a, a high uh, an area of high concentration of Hispanics. And she said, rattled off this phrase in Spanish. And basically um, it's something that is used in the Hispanic culture that basically says, I'm in this with you. Yeah. I feel that and she said, I think that's such a beautiful, a beautiful expression of sympathy to say, not just, I'm sorry this happened, but I'm in this with you. I will sit 
with you, sit with this, you know, sit with you in this, in the midst of this. Um, because sometimes it's one of the loneliest places you'll ever find yourself. When teachers, when counselors, when coaches, bus drivers, when they have the opportunity to impart presence into their relationships with their students or with the kid that's on the field, uh, boy, all kinds of things you know, can happen. And that's where students will return to the elementary school when they graduate high school and they wanted to say, hey, Mrs. Smith, you were there for me when my grandpa died and you were my favorite teacher and you're still my favorite teacher and thanks for making a difference in my life. Oh, and by the way, I'm gonna be a teacher too. You know, and so they have this idea that was ignited by Mrs. Smith, knowing that all she was doing in her mind was caring for her children, caring for those who she was responsible for. But it took a village to help her, you know, do that. So, um, you know, there's some great, some great things that can take place uh, that is in those schoolyards uh, and within the, the, uh, the whole school. Let's backtrack. Yeah, let's backtrack a little bit because something you said um, I, I want you to uh, talk a little bit more about, and that is sometimes you say sometimes their grief goes unnoticed because it doesn't necessarily look like what you think it's going to look like. You know, when we think of people in grief, we think of people that are sad, that are crying. That is probably not what you're going to be seeing. They're putting on their best face forward. The last thing they want to do is cry in front of their friends, break down at school. So that's probably not one of the signs to be looking for. Do you agree with that? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think if you were to imagine yourself in a classroom uh, as a substitute teacher, as a coach, as a, uh, uh, as the para, as the as the teacher assigned, um, and you start seeing anger, you start seeing some bitterness, you start seeing signs of remorse or regret, you start seeing poor, poor work. Um, and we're not paying attention to that, and we could just miss it, which means that that kid or that student becomes just one more person in your classroom. But when educators, when parents, when basketball coaches take notice and they ask questions and they're not um, necessarily inquisitive, but they're noticing. And I, and, I, and I always talk about that as being different. Being inquisitive is sometimes uh, derailing. It could really hurt relationships because it was it's almost sounds like a policeman where were you on the night of the 24th instead of asking that question it's hey i noticed a couple days ago that you were feeling pretty low and i've noticed that that feeling has continued on how about um how about if if uh if we have a conversation or, or would you like to have your lunch with me today in, in, in my classroom. Um, I have some mac and cheese that I always like to share with other people, you know, or, you know, so that there's, there's a taking notice uh, type of a response rather than the, why aren't you doing your work? How come you got a, such a bad grade? Do, you, do your mom and dad know what's happening? I'm going to call them. 
Mm -hmm. And it could be, you know, we're just thinking people are talking about grief in, in terms of death, but it might not even be death. It could, it could be um, the death of someone they love. It could be the death of a parent. It could be a divorce. It could be their best friend is moving to another school. It could be um, their brother just had an overdose, overdose last night. It could be so many different things. And, and I, I, think, I think teaching educators or helping educators, helping others understand that grief and loss doesn't just associate with death, but it could associate with their pet being missing for a couple days or they didn't make the basketball team. Um, they play trumpet and they really are excited about it, but they didn't make the, the jazz band. Uh, which is really what they wanted. But so now they're just in the, the, the more traditional uh, band mm -hmm. um, or the choir, or they didn't make the play. Um, and so I, 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 helping kids understand that. And I think if you and I were educators and we were talking um, you know, about our students in our classroom, I think we would get it. We would, we would see the signs uh, because we're talking about it, but see that's a problem. We're not talking about it And so when when we can have trainings or when we can have workshops where we're actually thinking about how do we inspire kids to hope? How do we motivate them through the trauma? We can't push them through it, but we want to help them to be and to remain motivated to go through it and to see hope as an option uh, you know, and that's, that's part of what we're talking about here is nurturing hope. Mm -hmm. And how do we nurture that to uh, students, uh, to each other? I mean, gosh, I think this world needs a lesson on nurturing hope to one another. It deals with kindness, gratitude. It deals with uh, love, acceptance, and some forgiveness. So when you, when you go into schools, how do you help these people take this compassionate action? Well, I think, I think um, one of the ways is um, by workshops and by keynotes and things like that, where you can really, um, you have a dedicated time where you're talking about a topic, the five um, grief points of a elementary school child. Um, the three top uh, high school grief points. So you, you know, have those kind of topics and then you talk about how kids find hope. Um, you also have the opportunity, especially in, if you're in the community, is that uh, you have opportunity to show up on campus or you have the opportunity to love on your kids and their friends. One of the things that my, my wife and I always have done is that we have um, always wanted to be the kind of parents that our kids would want to come home to. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter what age. But so now we've kind of turned it around a little bit and said, well, okay, so we want, we always want to be the kind of mom and dad that our kids and their friends want to come to our house on. And so I think that's part of, of what we're talking about here, about helping them nurture and find nurturing. 
So what would you say is the most important part of your message when you're delivering it? Yeah, that's a great question. I think probably, probably I always want to dedicate my message to inspire, um, to bring inspiration that usually comes out of nowhere, or we think it does, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's the resilience or the silver lining, however you want to, you know, view that. Um, but I always have enjoyed helping people reach into their, into their soul, reach into what they believe, what their virtues are, what their values are, if there's faith there, or if there's uh, certain levels of beliefs that are that are because that's where hope is born. So what we believe in and what we stand for, what we're willing to give our right arm for, those are the things that build us up and that's what gives us the pillars. And so I like helping them discover what those are and then be able to put those into use. And that's why a lot of people call me a coach. A lot of people call me a, a uh, a people motivator or, you know, something like that. And those are really wonderful terms or terms of endearment in my, in my mm-hmm. book. Um, but really, um, that's, that's really what my, my hope is at, at the end of every, every talk. And I think someone told me once, um, I think it was probably one of my children that uh, said that they had listened to an interview that I gave uh, similar to this. And I used the word hope like, you know, 70% of the time. That, that, that was usually a big topic, and it is. Yes, I think hope is a very important message, and I think that belief is too, belief that it can happen, belief that they can get through it, belief that, you know, just look for the different lights in your life and just follow those lights, and it will lead you into, you know, where where you need to be, you know, and... Um, you're definitely one of those lights. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think you are as well. And I think when we can help people through some of the trauma and some of the very difficult times that we're, that we're seeing even right now uh, in the current day, there's, there's just ways that educators and parents can really be uh, part of the nurturing process. You know, hope is is it's it's really an active type of of um, of process. It's like it's it's like mourning. So you know, when when we go through like a bereavement process, you know, first of all, we know that bereavement is that is that incident that breaks our heart. Mm-hmm. You know, and so whatever it is, it might be the dog uh, missing. It might be not not making the team. It might be a teacher. Um, not being able to teach the class they want to teach so they get stuck with third grade or you know but they really want to teach fifth grade Uh, or it's a parent dealing with loss or all these other kinds of loss points bereavement is that episode that happens it's the incident that takes place we know that grief is the feelings that we have toward it it's the it's the um i feel a shock i feel sadness i feel uh, some anger coming i feel uh, crowded out. I feel pushed away. I feel disenfranchised. But we know mourning 
is the action of those things. Mourning is what we will do as a result of having some of those feelings. That's why we have uh, a whole an addiction problem in our in our country because people don't know how to mourn. People will mourn improperly. People will, will mourn in, uh, unhealthy. And, uh, and so my, my hope is that when people begin to think about hope, they think about mourning well. So it's maybe walking instead of, uh, instead of uh, misusing alcohol instead of shopping and spending all of the money that you have in your bank account, maybe it's seeing a counselor and working through some of the uh, feelings that you have, as well as maybe taking a trip to the mall, you know, and buying something that you would like to have. So it's a balance of those things too. That, that makes a lot of sense. And, um, a lot of times you feel alone, but you don't have to be alone. And that's where we all have that ability to fill in that gap, that gap of loneliness by extending a hand. And I think that, you know, one of the things that I say when I, when I talk to groups is, is look, you know, it's not our job to fix this problem because we can't, we, we're not able to, our job is just to, to be there in part of their journey you know, and, and there are no magic words that you can say, and there's no magic thing that you can do that makes this all better. I mean, if there were, then my gosh, we'd be millionaires, wouldn't we? Exactly. Well, and I think that has to start within us first. I think we have to identify with what is our reasoning for grief, reasoning for suffering. I, 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 uh, I like to tell people that we can't help people feel cared about until we feel cared about. We can't help be a teacher until we have been first a student. Mm -hmm. And so when, when you and I go through the painful experiences, we learn some things and then we've heard people say, you're gonna use this in your life someday. Uh, and I think, that's very, I think that's very right. So when we discover the reasoning for our suffering, and we realize that there's inspiration that can come. There's some motivation that can come. There is some lessons in nurturing some character that is developed in your own life. Gosh, uh, if it wasn't for my cancer experience, for me, mm -hmm. I know I wouldn't be able to be as strong as a person as I am today. And that's only 15 months ago. Uh, and I've, I've come to appreciate things now, gosh, in the middle of it, no, I didn't like it. Uh, you lose weight, there's feelings of despair, you're wondering if you ever think, you know, things are going to work the way you want it to work, um, and, but you live through that, and, you know, my, my coaches used to say, you know, no pain, no gain, and it's the same as the truth in, in, our, in our grief world too. We don't want to experience the pain, but when we do experience, we can actually learn to help others too. Yes, and helping helps heal as well. Oh. Helping others helps heal as well. And, um, and I, I, I feel better each time I, I, you know, 
tell my message, each time that I share information, each time I share someone else's work and their, their mission and their ministry, um, it makes me feel better because I know that someone's going to hear this and it's going to be at the right time when they need to hear it. Because sometimes those messages, you know, when you're fresh in your, in your bereavement, um, someone telling you that you're going to learn something from this is not what you want to hear. Oh, it's not even, it's actually inappropriate <laughs> to say it. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's really inappropriate. And I think that's part of the beauty of your book. The beauty of my book is that, you know, we're helping people learn what to do, help learn to help themselves first through some of the painful experiences of their own life and then be able to help change the course of that other person's future by not just saying some unhealthy words to fill up the room with air, with, uh, to, to fill what you think is the right thing to say because of what your mom said or what your dad right. said or what your leader said. Uh, you know. And I've come to the point now even where I don't even like the words, I'm sorry for your loss. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's just so much more that we could say. But before we even say those things, we have to care. Right. Absolutely. We have to care and they can see that. And, and that's why I, I actually think that there are some responsibilities that grievers have to show grace to those people who are awkward because even they had the, they had the bravery to step up even in their awkwardness of not knowing what to do or say to try to do something to ease their suffering. And if we can come from that perspective, then maybe those words wouldn't be so hurtful, but Let's talk about those words because you have two books. You have a book that can help um, people, the helpers that want to help the people grieving, but you also have a book and a workbook for children. And I am so excited about this because when I do the work that I do in schools, everyone asks me what resources are out there and I'm finding them, you know, through people like you. And that excites me. Yeah. Finding hope. It was a great, what was a great joy to write. Uh, my friend Andrea and I wrote it together. Uh, and it's really all about a little girl who loses her smile when her grandma dies. And um, through the process of finding hope, and she thinks that she has to go looking for it, like she has to look for a, a dollar that she loses. Mm -hmm. uh, and so she looks around her house and she lifts up things and she talks to people and but it's her neighbor who helps her realize that her grandma is right here with her and the hope that she has and the hope that this little girl has now uh, as a result of finding her her hope and so it's a it was a it was a fun experience to do it uh, and uh, we're actually thinking about some other some other books that we could uh, write together as well. And then the workbook that goes with it, actually, um, I'm really excited about it. Uh, we've, we've had that book into some cancer clinics, uh, some bereavement um, uh, settings like counseling centers and um, funeral homes. Uh, and so those are being given away. And the workbook is nice too, because it gives them an opportunity to be active with their grief. And so to think about drawing or writing or making something uh, or uh, creating some kind of a uh, recipe, uh, you know, following grandma's 
famous pancake recipe or mm -hmm. something like that. So it's such a beautiful way to help people. Yeah. That's wonderful. So how can people get in touch with you and how can people get copies of your book? So uh, most of the time it's always available on Amazon. Um, but I love it when people can make a personal connection. Uh, and so they can go to my website, which is stephensewell.me, stephensewell.me. And all of my books are listed there. We have another one coming hopefully in July. Uh, hopefully it'll be finished and published. So, uh, so, but, uh, so all those are right there. All right, Stephen, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure to talk with you and thank you for your wisdom and sharing it with, with all of us. Well, thank you for having me. I love, uh, love doing the work and I love being uh, associated with you as well. So. I'm Sherry Dunleavy, and you've been listening to the Grief Anonymous podcast. For more information on today's guest, the Grief Anonymous program, or the Grief Resource Network, go to griefanonymous.com or griefresourcenetwork.com. For more information on my book, workshops, or talks, go to sherrydunleavy.com. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Thanks for listening.